We're turning to Joshua chapter 5 tonight. I can't say that I'm going to get what I'm on my heart tonight finished, but we'll see how the Lord leads us. And I trust that you pray and ask the Lord to minister to you because he has spoken to me through these verses. Joshua chapter chapter 5. And... Uh, I'm sure many of you know the context here is that about two and a half million children of Israel have crossed the great Jordan River and led by Joshua they've set up their headquarters at a place called Gilgal just overlooking the mighty fortress of, of Jericho. And in verse 9 of chapter 5, we read these words. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the month, at even, in the plains of Jericho. This was the third time the Passover was implemented by the people of God. And the date, and I want you to notice the word old. You'll find it twice here. It's very, very significant. And the date of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover, and unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow. Of course, that manna was there for 40 years, morning and morning providing their need. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more. They didn't need it now. They had to fend for themselves. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. God will provide for us, you know, when we can't provide for ourselves. They couldn't provide for themselves in the wilderness, the waste howling wilderness. God wouldn't have came with the man and the quails that had died, every last one of them. But when we can cater for ourselves and prepare for ourselves and Look after ourselves, he lets us do it. We don't depend on God at times when we can depend uh, with our own hands and get out and work and toil when we can. It's not always easy for everybody. But the, the situation is here that once they come over to the land that he had given them, it was their duty now to provide for themselves and for their family. Read verse 12 again. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they'd eaten of the old corn of the land Neither had the children of Israel man any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Cain in that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Now notice the sword wasn't in the scabbard. It was in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And remember the adversaries were seven nations. There were seven nations to be rooted out of Canaan whenever the children of Israel come in. And the men knew they put up some fight. And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain, and notice the capitals here, and the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. 
And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof. Now these were not Mickey Mouse boys that were going up against. And the mighty men of valor. And we'll end the reading there. And we know that God will bless to us the reading of his own precious word to our hearts. The victim and the victor of our valley experiences tonight, and this is the fifth one we've been doing, is this great soldier and warrior and leader, Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun. In the course of leading two million and more children of Israel away from Kadesh Barnea, across the desert, over the mile-wide sweeping Jordan River, up into their base camp at Gilgal, taking on seven hostile enemies, the valleys and the victories, and the highs and the lows were many. The anointed predecessor, mentor Moses, instructed him in many ways and encouraged him in many ways. Not only had he Moses backing, he was commissioned with the Lord, with promises that came from God for him to do the task that he had to do. It's always great to have the promises of God behind you when you go out to do something. Listen to some of the promises that God gave him to lead these people into victory. Fear not, for I will be with thee. I will not fail thee or forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. Be not dismayed or afraid, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. No man shall stand against thee all the days of thy life. Now, even with the commission and commendation of Moses and the promises of God, and even though, and remember this, even though he witnessed things that many others have never witnessed, he still was fearful at times. Remember, Joshua was born in slavery. Remember, he was under the taskmaster of Egypt. Remember all the things that he had seen and the deliverances and the Red Sea and now the Jordan. He witnessed the quails and the manna and the water from the rock for those 40 years. The pillar by day and cloud by day and, and the pillar of fire by night. But even with all that he had seen and even in all that this great leader had faced, there was times that he feared. And there was times that he shook. And there was times that he fell on his face. The peaks of Joshua's mountains were high, but the valleys were very, very low. Now I suggest to you that the first of these valley experiences was the first thing that he faced when he came into the land, and that was Jericho's walls. And from children, we all know something about Jericho or the walls of Jericho. We sing about it and all the rest. But I want to say to you tonight that in behind these walls were the most wicked and the most ruthless of enemies. We just read in chapter 6 and verse 2 that there were mighty men of valor. There were giants, some of them, the Anakins. And this fortress of Jericho had blocked the whole main artery into the land of Canaan that God had told through Abram that they were going to possess it, but they were going to possess it at a cost. And it's always a cost, my friend, to go through with God. These people had blocked Jericho, which was just a few miles from the Jordan River, just a few miles from where they were at Gilgal. 
that artery was blocked. In order to get in behind that to take out the rest of them, these people had to be, the walls had to come down. Now let me just draw for you a sort of a picture that we have here. There was complete lockdown. There's, there was no hope of this mighty Israeli army advancing to claim the possessions until and unless Jericho could be dealt with. Now the base camp that they had set up, the headquarters, was Gilgal. Now Gilgal was a mountain stretch. It was eight miles long and two miles wide. And it was packed with men, women and children defended by the army of Israel. F.B. Mayer said, the soldiers on the walls of Jericho could look over and they could see the children of Israel on the mountain at Gilgal. And vice versa, that they could see from Gilgal the white walls and the movement of soldiers about over in, in Jericho. There was a standoff. And we need to get that into our mind if we get any good out of this portion tonight. There was a standoff between good and evil. There was a standoff between truth, between truth and error. A standoff between light and darkness. And unless and until, I must emphasize this again, until Joshua can take Jericho, he couldn't liberate the rest of the land. In behind Jericho and stretching out all over that vast, mighty land of Canaan with milk and honey were the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Amorites, all entrenched and many more. In behind with the cover of Jericho. Jericho must come down. Let me apply that for a wee moment. What are your Jericho walls tonight? Do you ever think that you may have mountains and walls tonight that's keeping you back from possessing your possessions? From entering into what God has promised as a child of God that you should be and should have? What are your walls tonight? What keeps you back from the peace and the joy that the Lord has promised to every believer? What keeps us back, some of us tonight, from enjoying the Lord in the way that we should and having victory over sin and going on in to defeat the enemy and going from day to day in victory, as Peter says, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'm afraid that not many people, many God's people that I see possessing their full possessions today. We know that these walls did come down. And we know that in behind these walls there were gold and there was raiment and there was milk and there was honey and there was corn and there was wine and there was oil. Oh, I tell you, it was a vast... Listen, my friend, there's a vast supply in God if we can tap it, if we can break through to it. But alas, so many of us are in Cady's Bernier for the 40 years. So many of us are wandering round and round and, and where fear has gripped us. Oh, there's giants in the land. We can't go over. We can't take it. We'll just stay where we are. So many of us are like that tonight. We must admit that. Grumbling and murmuring. No victory. No joy. No power. One of the words that's used so often in many scriptures regarding the children of Israel when they disobeyed God for the 40 years that he kept them in the wilderness was the word, is the word provocation. You, you just get your concordance and look at how many times they provoked him because they wouldn't come in for what he, what he had provided, what he had provided for them. So how sad that is. Canaan was the promised land. It was a gift to Israel. 
They didn't have to fight to get it. All they had to do was to follow the ark, follow Joshua, follow the priests, and walk over. That's all they had to do. They had no fighting to do to get in. We have no fighting to do to get saved, to get in to victory. But I tell you this, we have fighting to do to stay in victory. And well you know that, and well I know it. Doesn't cost us anything to get saved, but oh, I tell you, when we get saved and we uh, have the ha, have our sins forgiven and peace with God, we're in, in up against the enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a battle. It's a battle to go on and on into into we get that victory that we need, and into the joy of the Lord. I was walking out in Peatlands the other day with Jonah and I was going along and, and this fellow was standing looking at a, into a hedge and he said to me when I was going past, he said, do you ever see so many red berries on a tree? I says, no, there's, there's quite a lot on that tree. I said, the old people in Fermanagh used to say that it's going to be a bad winter <laughs> whenever there were so many berries because they wanted to feed the birds. I says, you know, God feeds the birds. Oh, he says, I know that. So he started to talk a wee bit. And then I says, are you saved? Oh, ah, saved? He says, I'm saved a couple of times. <laughs> I was thinking that it was hard enough for me to get saved once. <laughs> Never mind a couple of times. He says, but I says, tell me this, and I talked on a bit, and I had weighed up in about three minutes. I says to him, are you enjoying the Lord? No, he never answered. No, he wasn't enjoying the Lord. And then the things that he told me, ah, no. God help us. Are you enjoying the Lord tonight? Not asking you to make a profession a wee years ago. Are you enjoying, are you enjoying the Lord tonight? Salvation is a free gift. But that's when the battle starts. The Jordan rolled back behind them. There's no turning back. No turning back. Just going on. Going on. It's sad that so many of God's people, you know, they, they come over the Jordan and they sit there. Oh, I'm saved now and I'm born again and I'm way by heaven. Glory to God, I'm redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah, and how true that is. But then they just sit there and they look over at Jericho. Oh, no, I wouldn't be able for that. And we'll just stay, we're all right the way we are. I'm enjoying this where I am and I'm doing what I am. But they're not going into the victory. They're not going into the joy. They're not going into what God wants them to do. They're not in the will of God. It was never the will of God for them to stay there. This was only a base camp where they set up for certain things that you'll see in a minute. So many of God's people are like the lepers. They just sit till they die and they never get the joy and they never get the victory and they never get the power. I don't want to be like that. Before we hoist the flag of victory and before the walls come down, we have to fight. We have to stand firm. You know, I was thinking today that the worst enemy that we have is the enemy we can't see. In behind these walls, they didn't really know. They hadn't the surveillance that we have today. They didn't know at that stage really how great the terror and the force was behind that, those walls. Before they were in battles, Joshua was in battle before they could see the enemy. They were out in the open field. They could, they could, they could weigh the enemy up. But the enemy that's not seen, you know, the old flesh and the world and the devil, the sins of, the sins of the flesh and the sins of the spirit. You know, the sins of the spirit are worse than the sins of the flesh. Boys, how we need. To ask the Lord to expose the enemy within that we might be able to have the ability to defeat it. Now I want to put in a wee point here. Canaan, the land of Canaan, no matter what the hymn writer says, and you'll get hymns in this book, 
No matter what the hymn writer says or some preacher say, Canaan is not heaven. The Jordan does not speak of physical death. The Jordan speaks of spiritual death, coming up into victory, into resurrection, up into new life. But it doesn't speak of physical death. It doesn't speak of going over into the glory, into heaven. I can tell you, my friend, there's no war in heaven. There's no schisms in heaven. There's no skirmishes in heaven. There's no splits in heaven. There's no giants in heaven. There's nothing that defileth shall enter heaven. The fight is over. The battle's won when we get to the glory. There'll be no wakens to pilfer the golden streets. There'll be no Gibeonites with their lies and their clouts and their old frosty bread. There'll be no need for the sun or the moon to stand to give light to the battles over for the battles won. There'll be no need for light to finish the job for the lamb (laughs) will be the light thereof. Amen. Now, let me show you how Joshua got the victory over his foes. This is very important because we cannot deal with the part of him meeting the pre-incarnate Christ with the sword drawn in his hand because we have to take the steps up to there first. We just can't run in and look at that at the end of it and we don't get that tonight, we'll get it next week. Because there are steps that had to be taken. There were things that had to be done. There's things that had to be put right before they could tackle Jericho. And I'm going to apply this to our lives. In my own life, I have applied it to tonight. How do we get in to get this victory? What must we do? What must they do? What must God says they have to do before these walls are going to come down and the enemy exposed and the land opened up to them? Well, first of all, the people had to be marked. Look at verse 2 of chapter 5. They had to have the mark upon them. At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. They were circumcised when they came out of Egypt. But they hadn't been since, and I'll tell you why in a minute. And Joshua made them sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were mailed, even all the men of war that died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Let me stop there a moment. The very first thing that God said you've got to do before we can go into the victory of Jericho, they've got to circumcise every male in the camp. Do you know why? Genesis 17 tells us God said that no male shall enter into the promised land uncircumcised. It was the covenant that God made. You can't enter into the battle, into the victory. You can't move out from Gilgal until every last meal, thousands and hundreds of thousands of them had to be circumcised. That's the mark of separation. When they go in amongst these heathens, they're different. When they go in amongst these heathen, they're separated. They're God's people. There has to be a mark upon them, just the same as there needs to be a mark upon God's people in your office, in your factory, wherever you work, wherever you are. It's not the mark of circumcision. It's the mark of circumcision that Jeremiah and others talk, the circumcision of the heart. 
When that old man has to be cut out and cut away, the people will say, he's different, she's different. Oh, look at the way he dresses. Look at the way she dresses. Look at the respect they have. One of the most staggering statements I think that I heard this week was, or read this week, was Gandhi. I said it before. Gandhi, the Indian prime minister of years gone by. You know what Gandhi said? He said, I would be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. I would be a Christian, he says, if it was not by the, to, by what, if it was not for watching their testimonies. God help us. And I hope nobody ever says that about me. And I hope nobody says that about you. And I hope nobody says that. Nobody says that about the lifeboat. The reason that they weren't circumcised in the wilderness was because they were rebellious, disobedient. He calls them their people, not his people, provoking them day by day, mocking the manna that was a type of Christ, mocking the quails and the water and wanting to return back to Egypt again. He's not going to let them return back to Egypt with the mark, his mark on them. They threatened to go back. They mocked and complained. Let me just bring baptism in here because baptism, believers' baptism is a symbol of circumcision. It's dying to the old self and coming out to newness of life. And I hope that you're not baptized, believer, mumbling and grumbling and groaning. But you're living a life for Jesus that he Living in the power of the resurrection. Baptism as circumcision was an outward evidence of an inward reality. Circumcision was also a form of weakness. It was a weakness to do with the flesh. No flesh will glory in his presence. And if they are going to take down this, these walls of Jerusalem, not be by might nor by power. And if we're going to see victory, we're going to see revival, it'll not be the old flesh, it'll, it'll not be the lifeboat or Bertie Johnson or our, our prayer meetings or anything else, it'll be it'll be God. Be God. Not by might nor by power. The old flesh has to be put to death. And it's painful. My friend, it's painful to die. Spiritual death. You physical death, we'll do everything to stay alive. We'll fight, we'll breathe, we'll kick tablets, we'll tick. Anything we get, we'd pay millions of pounds just to stay alive for another day or two. Well, let me tell you, this, it's the same in the spiritual realm. Before we give in to the old flesh, before the old flesh will die, we'll fight it out to the very end. Oh, we'll make wee bits of this and bits of that and other. But to completely and utterly die, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Death doesn't come easy. And death of the old man will not come easy. We'll keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. We still want a wee bit of the world. We still want a wee bit of this. We want a wee bit of the other. We don't want to completely die and come out on the side of Christ. Well, it's painful to die. Spirit. Very painful. The knife. Get the knife. Joshua. Before you go any further, get the knife. Before we go any further into these meetings... And into, this revi- into these revival meetings and into the school, we need the knife to cut out that jealousy, that pride, that haughtiness, that envy, that criticism. We need the pride. 
Circumcision was very, very important to God. Look at, look at verse 3. Let, let's read this. Verse 3. Let's read these verses again. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hills of the foreskin. And this is the cause. You notice how many times circumcision is mentioned in these verses. You go back to verse 5. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now, all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land, which the Lord swore unto their fathers that he would give us a land that flowed with milk and honey. And their children whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in the places in the camp till they were whole. Now let me stop there a moment. Seven days at least it took for these men to heal after the circumcision. For the first couple of days, they could hardly walk. Now, I want to get you get this picture into your mind. Here's a million and more men, fighting men, looking out over at Jericho, and they're hardly able to walk. You think about that. Hardly able to walk. Now look at verse, chapter 5 and verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites which were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of the Canaanites which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until they were passed over, their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. And then you read, at that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, take a knife. Now no commander of the armed forces, if he was right in the head, would have put his men into a position like this. Put all these fighting men that they weren't able to move. This was the time to move in. This was the time to take, take the field when these, the life was scared out of, they'd heard about the, the, the manna, they'd heard about the quails, they'd heard about the water from the rock, they'd heard about the Red Sea, they'd heard about the Jordan, they'd heard about the mighty God, mighty God of Israel, and they were fearful. Move in now, Joshua, move in. No, God says, sit still. Just stay where you are. I tell you, God's ways are not our ways. You stay there to every one of them marked. I look after them. There was no possession until there was a mark. Now, secondly, there was no possession until there was a meal. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. Let me just recap before we look at this meal for a minute. They were redeemed out of Egypt. They had arrived in Canaan. They had the mark of the people of God on them. And they had come at the place called Gilgal. Now, Gilgal means rolled away. That's the word Gilgal, rolled away. The reproach 
it says, had rolled away. Verse 9, the reproach has rolled away. What was the reproach of the children of Israel? Well, there were slaves that were set free. That had rolled away. The mockery of all the years in the desert where the enemy mocked them and said God wasn't able to take them over and they'd trusted God and they wanted to go back. The mockery, it was rolled away. The slavery was rolled away. The mockery was rolled away. The idolatry of Egypt, it was all rolled away. They were free. They were free. All they had to do now was to obey God and move in and take their possessions, but they couldn't go without the mark. And they couldn't go until they took the meal in verse 10. Do you know? They had the Passover feast. They broke the bread under the very nose of the enemy. (laughs) We do that every Sunday here. We break bread here, praise God. We remember the redemption from Egypt. We remember the blood that was shed for our sins every Lord's Day here in the very, under the very nose of the enemy. May we continue to do it. May we continue to do it. Oh, can you imagine what this must have been like? Joshua, move in. This is the time to move. Don't be wasting time. That's a lot of God's people must do that on Sunday. Don't be wasting time around the Lord's table. Get away home. (laughs) Don't be wasting time with these things here. We can do them after the Lord. No, no, God says. No, no. This is my way. You don't dictate. You don't dictate. This timing was perfect. Look at chapter 4 and verse 19. And the people came out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 10 again. And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the, same, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day. There was four days between it. That was in Exodus chapter 12. The very day, four days they had to keep the lamb. The Passover lamb. Exact day, the exact month, the exact time. Four days. After all those years, God spot on in time. <laughs> Boy, he's spot on in time. What are they doing here? They're remembering the Lord. They're remembering the redemption from Egypt, the Passover lamb, in the nose of the enemy. And they have to do it before they can go into battle. Before they go into battle. In Exodus 12, God says, Speak unto the congregation of Israel on the tenth day and the first day of the month and take the lamb for every house and keep it until the fourteenth day. They can't go without the lamb. They can't go without the blood. We can't go without the cross, without the victory. Friend, we can't go without Calvary. So there's the mark, number one. There's the meal, number two. There's the manna. There's the manna, number three, verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover on leavened cakes and parched corn in the salt day and the manna ceased on the morrow. The knife came before the table. 
the identification before the celebration. Calvary before Pentecost, Jericho before Canaan, the valley before victories. Do you know what I was thinking? Would to God we would conduct our table in our evangelical churches in the same manner? How many be, sit round the Lord's table and there's not a mark of God about them? Not a mark. And how many go down into the waters of baptism and they come up and there's not a mark? Now, in the 40 years wandering and rebellion of, uh, against God, He didn't allow them to keep the Passover. He didn't allow it. Because of the rebellion, and don't you be near the Lord's table if there's rebellion in your heart. Don't be near it. Nothing to do with it. Flee. Unless we're right with God, we have no right to be around, around the Lord's table. There's only three times the Passover feast. One was at Exodus 12 when they come out of each other. Time was at the bottom of Sinai before they moved out into the wilderness. This is the third time. God guarded this very, very carefully. And those who walk out on Sunday morning from it need to take heed to. And I know there's families and distance, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying. This is very, very precious to the Lord. And it's very precious before we get the victory. Very precious. You see, we can't play, play, play fast and loose with God. We just, it's not an a la carte menu now. And preachers like myself who get into trouble for being so straight and tell, trying to tell people what I feel to be right, whether people like it or not, it's not a popular thing, but you can't play fast and loose with God. There is no a la carte menu. You can't take this and not that and that and not the other and expect blessing. If you're going to possess your possessions, if you're going to come into victory, if you're going to come in to root out the enemy that's in your life, you're going to see victory in their land and revival in their land, then we have got to obey God. And that's why these steps take us up to, to before he came. He stepped into the sea. Do you think that the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ that met him with the sword drawn? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you tell me that he would have come if they wouldn't have been circumcised? Well, he himself for the eight days was circumcised. Do you think that, do you, do you think that he, 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 he would have come if they were walking over the Passover lamb on the Lord's table and mocking it? Do you think he would have come amongst them? And only for his grace and only for his mercy. And remember this, in all their... Protestations and all their 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 their, their gab and all their their evil and all their criticizing the man. Oh, this manna, manna. We're sick and tired of it. Well, it spoke of Christ because it was round eternity. It spoke of Christ as purity because it was white. There had no beginning and no ending. And I could give you a lesson on the manna. And this manna, God in his faithfulness, even in the rebellion, even in all the rebellion in Cadiz Bernia, even though he let them die around him, he provided their need in grace and mercy and love, and he still does it for us. But let me just, I'm going to finish with the manna. If I'm not going on to, to the man, we're going to look at the man with a sword drawn next week. Well, I'll tell you this. He didn't come to Hagar with the sword drawn. Indeed, he didn't. He came to Hagar with compassion. He knows how to come. He didn't come to Elijah when he was under the juniper tree with a sword. And sometimes, you know, when I'm guilty of this and I admit it and I've admitted it many a time. 
It doesn't seem to do me any good. It doesn't seem to change me. But I admit that there's times I come from this pulpit with a sword and I shouldn't be the sword. He came with this woman Hagar on the borders of Egypt ready to die, abused and cast out as you saw last week. He came with compassion. He didn't come to Elijah under the juniper tree with a sword and piercing him and telling him, get up man, no, no. He came and fed him. He came to Elijah with provision. He came to Hagar with compassion. He came to Isaiah with a revelation. God knows what we need. And when I scold and hammer and wound some people that I shouldn't be wounding, he knows how to heal you. He knew how to stick on the ear. Peter's whipped off. We're good at whipping off ears. And God busy sticking on ears after us. We're quick with the sword at times. But he has come here with the sword. And let me tell you, the sword's not in the scabbard. And if you want the rest of it, you'll have to come back. To the sword's not in the scabbard. It's in his hand. He's ready for battle. And I tell you that Joshua was in a low valley when he came. And I'll tell you why. It seems that he walked away from the camp at night and came up to the walls of Jericho. And I would be thinking what was in this man's heart. Now that all's in order that God said, how are we going to get over the What? Will I put a few men up that side? Will I put a few men round here? Will I, will I scale it here? And it said that he lifted up his eyes. He got his eyes on the walls. And you know that phrase, lift up your eyes, means to lift up the eyes of your soul. So I believe that as Joshua, this commander, mind you, he had thousands and hundreds of thousands of women and children behind him. He was going into a deadly, wicked foe. And he was the leader. He was the leader. Moses was the leader up to now. Let me tell you this. Moses was the leader up to this moment, up to he took over. And he could come in behind Moses. You know, people love to come in behind the leader. But they don't want to lead themselves. You see, when you're leading a work and you're leading a fellowship, it's the book stops, if you use that language, with you. Not with the other elders. Not with the deacons. Leadership must come from the top. And a whole lot of people don't want leadership. Because they don't want to make decisions. But those decisions have to be made. And I tell you, people would need to step up into leadership. And make decisions. This decision... He's looking at these walls and he's saying, what on earth? How are we going to get this over? It's an impossible situation, this fortress. Miles long and miles wide. And he lifted up his eyes of his soul and I believe he began to pray and he began to cry and he looked at the walls and he said, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, there's women and there's children. And then he appeared. Then he appeared. And he was desperate. And I can tell you, we get desperate enough. We can desperate. We have a prime minister now who's a Hindu who believes in reincarnation. Born the body as quick as it dies and let the, let the soul out so he'll find somewhere else to rest. That's who we've over us now. God Malik worshipping, bowing at him. That's who we're about. We've terraced Northern Ireland. We'll have a sodomated Christmas in Dublin again. 
That's who's leading. And when we get desperate, desperate, as I tell you, when this boy and Charles get together, God only knows where we're going to land. He lifted up the eyes and the soul and said, Lord, I can't handle this. Oh, I thank you for all the promises. I thank you for all Moses said. And I thank you for what you've done in the past. And I thank you for the Red Sea and the Jordan. And I thank you for it all. But Lord, this is a different thing. It's nothing different to God. I'll deal, that, deal with that next week. But let me just finish with this. Notice the word, and the date of the old, verse 11, the old corn, and the manna ceased, on the morrow, and the eating of the old corn. Now I read where a commentator says they shouldn't have bothered putting in old corn there. They just so they said the eat of the corn of the land. But let me tell you, this was the beginning of barley harvest. The old corn was last year's corn. That's why the old is in twice. It was the last year's corn. Who harvested? Who foraged it? The enemy. The Philistines. The Parasites. The Jebusites. The Canaanites. Harvested with the sweat of their brow. Day in and day out. And I'm sure they give thanks and I'm sure they praise their God as that boy in Westminster will be praising his God when he gets back to his people at the weekend. He'll be praising their God. And they the praise their God, praise their God for the great harvest. Aye, but God knew his people was coming. <laughs> he knew his people was coming. Those two and a half million mouths to feed. My God shall provide all your need according to his riches and glory. The enemy supplied the need. Little did they know when they were harvesting that with the sweat of their brow as it was for God's people. Where would that lead you tonight if you went on? As the ravens fed Elijah, the enemy fed the people of God. He's always a step ahead. Give praise and glory to him tonight. Amen.